Blog Talk Radio. Fontaine and Dr. Jean Cirillo. <laughs> wow, this is a long, long applause here. Well, thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> Um, and we're here to answer all your questions on love, life, career, and whatever is on your mind. So give us a call at 646-381-4141. Dr. Jean Cirillo and I are here to help you on your life's journey, and we're, we're going to be taking calls most of the evening tonight. We've got a great show in store. To, blah, 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 blah. I can't even speak. I've got a great show in store for you, so we're glad you're here with us tonight. Yay! Yay. <laughs> Our number again is 646-381-4141, and we are waiting for your call. So, Dr. Cirillo, what's going on in New York? We've got a lot of snow coming down here. It just started about an hour ago coming down flurrying and now there's about uh, an inch or so on the ground and you know when I came out of the gym my window was had already had snow on it I needed to brush it off and uh, yeah now it's coming down pretty solidly they said it's supposed to stop though by nine in the morning oh really see here they're saying until 12 noon but how many inches are they predicting there for you they said it could easily be up to 12 or even past it because wow. we're in central Long Island. So <laughs> we well, get the Connecticut-type yeah. coastal weather. Yeah. Well, you're in for another big one. I mean, here they're saying 3 to 6. Some people are saying 6 to 12, but I don't know. I mean, although the snow is coming down hard, this is the 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 hardest that we've had any snowfall so far this season. So um, I'm I'm already planning on staying in tomorrow and staying warm. Well, your dogs love the snow. Uh, I just brought them in, and I had let them out around 9 o'clock, and they were covered. You know, usually you think that they, you know, shake it off and they're sort of not going to be like um, snowmen or snow dogs, mm-hmm. but they came in. They were covered with snow, and they're all leaning against me, and they're all happy and shaking and everything. And I go, no, 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 no. <laughs> well, that's good for their that's good for their coats, isn't it? For them to develop and keep their coats. Yes, actually, this is the ideal weather. I mean, our in my breed, which is a big coated breed, um, all of our specialties, which are the big shows where breed judges evaluate your dogs, um, they're all in the winter months because that's when we have the most coat. You know, for summer months, not too many collies have a good coat, so. 
um, yeah, this is the ideal time. This is the time I, I love when my dogs want to stay out. And most of them want to stay out all the time. You know, not all they don't stay out all the time, but like when I let them out, they're out to play even when it's really, really cold. They love it. Um, when they well, start, good. When they start hanging out on the deck and looking in the, the door, I'll let them in because either they're bored or, you know, they're cold. Well, I've never really seen one cold. I mean, they come in and they usually just want to come in and curl up on the couch or something like that. But most of them would rather be outside, you know, and playing. That's cause interesting they have, because I've seen other dogs with good coats and they, they're shedding and their owners are complaining that they're shedding. And I told them what I learned from you. How do you expect them to keep the coat on when you're always keeping them in the house where it's 70-something degrees? It's like a human. You After a while, you know, you take your coat, you say, I don't need this. <laughs> well, that's true. And coats off. They have to shut up, but their dogs will not stay outside, even if they're ones with good coats. Uh, they they want to come in immediately. Yeah, like well, they're, they're trained. I mean, put out of the house. I know. See, for you know, show dogs, we train mm-hmm. them to be outside when they're young. So this, and again, my dogs, I don't they have a kennel to. set up, and my mm-hmm. dogs sleep inside and they eat inside. But when they go out, you know, they, you know, when they're younger, you just you know, make sure that they go with, you know, adults or somebody who are used to being outside. And like I have a child. Dogs. Right. That's exactly <laughs> right. And I have some dogs that, I mean, I have to bribe. Like, Crystal, I have to say, do you want to E-A-T in order to get her to come in? Because she's she she has selective hearing. When I go, Crystal, Crystal, come on in, ignores me. And then I go, do you right. want to eat? She comes running. <laughs> Her eyes yeah, just so shows up. how smart she is. <laughs> but one, two things I want to say about the coat is, one is it's not just the cold. It's also in the winter months, you know that it gets dark earlier. So the dog's like biological clock and everything works on light. So when it's wintertime here, not only do I keep my house freezing cold because I'm always growing coat, I try to keep the rooms that they're in dark and not well lit. Um, because that also will help them build more coat. Because if they're in a brightly lit house that's really warm, they're never going to grow coat. They can't because their system is saying summer, summer, and they're going to keep a light coat on. Okay. Oh, I didn't know that. Thank you for telling me. I'll pass that on to my dog owner (laughs) friends that they need, need to be in the dark room, that the dog isn't punished when you put the dog alone in the dark room all the time. Well, I keep I try to keep all the lights here except like if I'm in my office without any dogs or with some of the older dogs, then I'll keep that brightly lit. But the other rooms I try to keep really low light so this way it doesn't affect their um, you know, their growing coat cycle. But, you know, I do things extreme because I show my dogs. I mean, the average person, you know, doesn't really need that heavy coat. The other thing I want to mention is dogs shed before they put on coat. So it's very typical that dogs at the beginning of a, a winter or at the end of the fall season start blowing their coats. They start shedding. Because, oh, really? I didn't know that yes. either. Wow. Yes. Um, because they that's shed actually, whatever's left so they can grow yes, a new coat. Yes, and then the new coat comes in. Ooh. Exactly. So oftentimes when they're shedding, it actually is a sign that they're growing coat. Is that what happens with people? I mean, I noticed, by, not so much myself because I have a lot of hair being Italian. I'm sure you do too. But I have a lot of friends that were always, since they were young, afraid they were losing their hair, and it's usually like around the fall season. I said maybe it's uh-huh. like the trees, you know, the hair falls out, but it could mean that the new good hair is growing back for the winter. Should I tell them that? <laughs> I don't know. That one I'm not sure of, but it could be. I mean, it kind of makes sense. 
You know, I, I don't know, though, for sure. I mean, I know that hormonal things, obviously, in humans will affect hair growth, but I don't know. That's something that we'll have to research and keep everybody posted. <laughs> that's You know, that's one that I'm not Anything really familiar that would with. grow hair on people, I'm saying if you would use your collie research to come up with something that would grow hair on human beings, that would make you a rich, rich lady, you know? I mean, uh Showing the dogs is fun, but it, it doesn't make somebody wealthy. This would. Mm. So let's come I'll up with a way to grow hair. Right. Right. Then, <laughs> then the, the format of this show will change a bit. Not only will we take the psychic calls, but we'll take calls from people who want more hair. And it will it really will be a good indication because you know me and I know you. We both have a great head of hair. Yeah, we do. So there, uh, we must be doing something right. <laughs> I guess me staying in the dark all the time with freezing cold weather in my own home. It's like when the dogs are outside. Dark. It's it, not dark. I always wanted artificial light. I'm I'm the crazy person like who was who was used to being in an apartment a lot. I di- I didn't like to always be out 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 like get out of the house. And and I actually prefer being inside in artificial light, not having I, – I don't like the sun. And, and thank, you know, now they're finding it's good for your skin because even if you have dark skin, it, it can tend to uh, develop skin cancer. So maybe there's something to that. That would, definitely could hair, be. that would make sense. Definitely could be. We'll have to do some research and see. Maybe we'll have – Lady Fontaine and Dr. Jean's hair growth formula. Coming up soon. I want to advertise personal, personal growth. This is a true story, like personal growth work. When I mm-hmm. put in uh, for an ad for therapy, and somebody called, I don't think he was kidding, and he said, could you tell me after the work how tall I'll be? He how what? Exercises, personal growth exercises. So oh, he okay. Physical exercises that would make your body taller. Oh, really? Personal growth exercises, yeah. We can't take well, the, anything for granted. Well, the one thing that would make sense about that to me is, you know, most people shrink as they get older. You know, they lose an inch or two, but I would guess that's because muscles and everything sort of shrivel up, you and know, to some degree. Up a little bit. Yeah. yeah, and also, like, I when I had lower back problems a lot, a lot of years ago, I went through something called the VAX-D treatment, which which was, it's sort of like a decompression kind of thing, and it was invented by the guy who invented the pacemaker. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but um, in any event, when after that treatment, I actually was taller because it stretched the spine, and it does something with um, actually like re-lubricating the... Um, you know, the the discs and stuff, yeah. I mean, nowadays they have so many different decompression kind of mechanisms that, you you know, I'm sure it all has the same effect. But years years ago that was, like, new and innovative. And, um, well, it makes sense because if there's more space between your spinal discs, yeah, uh, yeah. that would add inches. Yeah, because it's true. When they get all, you know, when all of the fluid and the liquid and, and they're bulging or something like that, it's, you know getting all crunched up. But that, I mean, that's them all down like a pancake, you get shorter. I know, right? <laughs> but, um, wow, this is an interesting show tonight between um, growing hair and growing in height. This is great. And actually, I have um, 
I was actually talking to my chiropractor, who's a good friend of mine, and he's been on this show before. Um, he's the guy who is a very, um, very passionate student of A Course in Miracles. Um, and I was talking to him the other day about coming back on the show because he's learning more. I mean, he's he re- keeps on rereading the book. It's like 600 and some odd pages. And every time he reads it, he gets something different and more out of the book. So mm-hmm. he was telling me some of the new stuff that he's realizing. And I said, wow, that really aligns perfectly with what I believe. So I want to get him back on the show. So maybe he could comment on some of these things about stretching the spine as well. Right. Some of the things we think of miracles really aren't miracles if we understand the cause. We just don't understand it yet. Well, that's very true. Well, what the you know what the Course in Miracles tells us is a miracle is simply a change of your perspective. So when you allow yourself to see a possible different reality, um, you create it for yourself. You you open up that possibility, um, and it it helps create it, or it does actually create it. So. Um, you know, that's that's good food for thought for people who think, oh, you know, they get stuck in the victim mode, oh, worries me, and all this other kind of stuff. If you if your focus is on all the bad stuff that's happening, unfortunately, that's what you'll end up creating for yourself. So remember, of course, in Miracles says that um, a miracle is simply a shift and a change in perception. So, in any event, this week, fortunately, um, other than the snowstorm, there's no, um, and I'm not saying this in a kidding way at all, but there's no birds falling from the sky or, you know, fish uh, washing up on the shores, I don't think. Have you heard of any more stories about that? No. My sense is that that is still some backlash from the oil spill or something, or See, something else feeling... that nice nature, chemicals, See, uh... Uh... I mean that. No, that definitely could be. But I, you know me, thinking about 2012, and I actually saw, and it, I, I know that it's on Hulu right now. I don't remember if it was um, Biography Channel or one of those channels had um, a, a scientific, you know, show on magnetic storms. And basically what it was saying, and and they actually have a scientific study that they did in 2009. And this was done by, I don't know if it was done by NASA or, you know, this is not like offbeat science, pseudoscience. This is real science. And what they really were talking about was um, uh, a reverse, the, the magnetic reversal, which is part of what they say is going to happen in 2012, where the magnetic field shifts. So n- the, north, it, the North Pole becomes the South Pole and the South Pole becomes the North Pole. And our magnetic north would be the South Pole rather than the North Pole. But what they say is when that shift occurs, um, there may be hours or days or longer where the magnetic field where the magnetic field of the Earth is not any more any longer there. It's sort of like has to reprogram itself. And it's the magnetic field of the Earth that actually prevents all the radiation and all the solar stuff coming in all the flares and all this other stuff that come that shoots out from the um, sun on a regular basis, that's what protects us from it. So we would be susceptible to magnetic storms, and basically a magnetic storm would wipe out um, all of the electrical, you know, all the transformers, and basically around the globe, all of electricity. And, and it's not something that they can just fix a cable, because when the transformers 
burnout. They say in big cities it's going to take them six months or longer to get back their pieces of their infrastructure. And, um, you know, more remote areas could take years and years and years. But there's a wonderful show on it, and it is on Hulu right now. Um, I, I don't really remember the name of it, but it was called Magnetic Storms. That's what I feel is going to happen in 2012. But one of the interesting things that I think I heard them say on that show was the um, when things like that start happening, and we've already been we've already had outages, at least they did in Quebec, due to um, magnetic storms. And what they said is that it affects birds and fish and all living things. So I'm wondering if we're already starting to go through some of some of these kind of like mini cycles of things, and it is affecting the, you know, the birds and the fish and other things. So yes, yeah, it could the be birds chemical. And the fish feel it first, don't they? I think so. Yes, that's why. Um, it really alerted me, and again, you know, we're getting so close to, to December 21st, 2012, um, and it happened, on most of it started, anyhow, on New Year's Eve. I just felt, I don't know, it's just something, you know, is weird. And plus, I've heard many times that, you know, the, the Mayans could have been off a year or so. I mean, most likely they're not, because they were so precise mathematicians, but if they were off a year, maybe it's you know, December 21st, 2011. Oh, boy. <laughs> but let's face it, we made it, we made it through 1-11-2011. Um, Isn't okay. that today's date? January 11th, one 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 my God. I, I thought that was funny when I was writing it down, you know. You did. You were aware of it. I wasn't even aware of it. I was reading it somewhere online, and I go, "Oh yeah, that's right." But I guess when we got past one one, um, one 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 eleven, I thought, "Okay, well, if we make, can make it through January first, two thousand eleven, we certainly can make it through January eleventh." But you know, all those ones got to mean something good, huh? Um, by the way, so. by the way, I want to mention Julie is back, but. Um, on her cruise, she lost her computer. Oh. So she did email me. She was on a friend's computer, and she did email me and indicate that um, she didn't have a computer, so she couldn't do the switchboard, and she couldn't call in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so uh, Paul is going to be helping us tonight with the switchboard because Frank is sick. So yeah, Frank is basically, around, around again. You know what Gene always says about that. You know what, what I always say. I'm so suspicious. Oh, I why know. I'm never around when the other. Well, look, I know. I mean, look at the evidence. Come on. I know. Now, I mean, I don't think that they have ever been off, you know, when the other one wasn't off as well. So if Frank isn't here, inevitably Julie isn't here. If Julie isn't here, then inevitably Frank isn't here. So, I mean, you know, patterns are patterns, and, you know, let the the viewers try or the listeners try to, you know, figure this one out on their own. But I'll tell you, as a psychic, I feel something fishy going on. As a non-psychic, I either predict that is they're doing a competing show together, which <gasps> would make sense why they're never available, or they're having fun together. Now, which answer would you rather take? 
Well, they would be hard-pressed to be psychic. So if they're doing a competing show, uh, um, I'm not sure how they would do that unless they hooked up with another psychic. But if they did do that, I would wish them a lot of luck, and I hope things turn out really, really well for them. Um, my gut feeling is um, the second, the latter. Yeah, I would think so. So they've got their own Frank and Julie show, and it's just not for everybody to see. I think you might be right on that. Yeah, yeah. Because, like I said, Julie did admit to me that she and Frank bonded when we were on set. Um, And I I witnessed them bonding, so I I will verify that. Did you? I'm a witness. Yes. Oh, I didn't even notice it. I was talking to both of them, and I noticed the two of them behaving in a very friendly way, like, like they were in sync in some way. So I would call that bonding, yeah. Mm, I would too, and perhaps they bonded long, a long time ago, and they just said that they bonded that day. Perhaps because they this is not new as far as them being missing in action on the same days. They did this last year as well. Oh my, I don't remember that. That's clear. I do. <laughs> this is this is really getting juicy. <laughs> so I guess the continuing saga of the um, Frank and Julie mystery maybe will unravel next week when they're both back on the show, hopefully. So I guess time will tell. We'll see what we pick up psychically and psychologically as we listen to their individual stories of their couple of weeks away from Eye on the Future. So on that note, do you want to listen to Sky McKenna and hear what she has to say? Of course. Well, it is now time then for Sky McKenna's Skywatch Report. Remember to visit Sky at her website at skymckenna.com. Hello, everybody. This is Sky McKenna with my weekly Skywatch Energy Report. This is a review of the energies for the upcoming week. And if you miss any of this, you can re-listen each week in the archives, or you can go to my website, skymckenna.com, and click the link near the top of the page. You can also read the Energy Report on my blog. There's a link at the top of my website for that, too. So, we've got the wind in our backs. We're still holding on to our hats. Here's the week ahead in eight minutes or less. And this then is for the week beginning Sunday, January 9th, 2011. Well, some absolutely great news for us all is that until January 26th, there are absolutely no planets in retrograde motion. And that means we all have a very big green light to make some excellent progress. So that also means we should get our running shoes on and start moving and start making that progress. And the week gets off to a jump start on Monday, January 10th, when Mercury forms a 60-degree aspect of opportunity to Neptune, and he also squares off with Uranus. So our minds will be open and moving very fast, and there can be flashes of brilliance and or insight, and we'll be ready and able to think outside the box, and in a big hurry, too. This can be a very good thing. Imagination will be quick and strong, and we should absolutely pay attention to any quiet whispers or that little still voice we all have, and take action when we see or hear an opportunity calling to us. Then on Tuesday, January 11th, Mercury will square off with Jupiter, and our perceptions and our thinking can range from super optimistic to thinking or communicating just too, too big and saying way too much, committing too much, or believing too much without really thinking about it. Either way, communications can and will likely flourish and expand today, so we should be ready for that. And this could lead to very large results if we can stay even a little realistic and at the same time stay connected to the hope it all offers. 
And on Wednesday, January 12th, Mars will form that same 60-degree aspect of opportunity to Uranus. And this can open doors to change and excitement. Jupiter is all about expansion, and Uranus speaks to that change and excitement. We can be feeling inspired, and this is definitely a time to do that thinking outside the box. It's also a time to let our hair down and step into some spontaneous action. Otherwise, we could end up on the other end of the scale feeling restless or even irritable. So we should be ready to take a leap of faith, just not too far. And on Wednesday, January 13th, Mercury will enter grounded, ambitious Capricorn. And that will pull our thinking processes down to business. We'll be taking ideas and communication seriously. And we'll want our words and communications to be taken seriously as well. But this energy can ground those exciting new inspirations we've been having and help us plan and accomplish our goals. And finally, on Saturday, January 15th, Mars will enter freedom-loving Aquarius until February 22nd, and we're going to be surrounded by an assertive, forceful, or even defiantly aggressive energy. But we'll also be responding in very creative ways or suddenly find ourselves in extremely creative endeavors. Excitement, spontaneity, and innovation will be at our fingertips now, and we can surprise even ourselves as we move into areas we hadn't even considered possible. Over these next few weeks, we should, however, watch that we aren't too independent or too unpredictable as we deal with friends, co-workers, and especially our partners. Now this week, I want to talk about how each sign may experience the dynamic and forceful energy of Mars moving into Aquarius until February 22nd, and as always, this will apply to your sun sign, an ascendant rising sign if you know it. Aries, look for exciting new opportunities to come to you from friends or groups. Your hopes and wishes are also about to be energized, and in a very big way. Taurus, dynamic action and change in your career can come to you, and you can almost literally blow away any obstacles that have been hindering your progress. Gemini, opportunities for travel and learning will likely be arriving, so get ready to be very busy as your world expands in very surprising ways. Cancer, finances and shared resources are about to get very active in your life, and someone close to you may receive money or resources that benefit you in some way too. Leo, partnerships are going to be exciting and surprising and very busy and very active. Get ready for new people to enter your life or an existing partnership to finally start moving. Virgo, your health and energy will be on the rise and your work is about to get very busy. Expect a lot of action and interaction with coworkers too. Libra, romance and relationships can be passionate, exciting, unusual, and surprising. And it's also a great time to open the door to wild creativity. Scorpio, look for some big action on the home front and with the home and family. You can make some big headway now. Sagittarius, expect lots and lots of communications to be arriving. Your mind is going to be very active and on fire with new innovative ideas. Take that leap of faith. Capricorn, look for lots of actions and new avenues of money and finances to come into your life. Thinking outside that box will bring in even more. Aquarius, you're ready to take action and make personal changes now and in very big ways. But do be careful not to go to extremes if you can help it. Pisces, your intuition will be on fire and more answers than you even knew you needed may finally be arriving. Let the light bulb switch on so something new can finally begin. Well, that's a wrap for this week's edition of the Skywatch Energy Report. And remember, if you miss any of this, you can re-listen each week in the archives or visit my website, skymckenna.com, and the link is right there at the top of the page. And you'll also find a link to my new blog if you'd like to read the Energy Report. And remember, the animals still need your help. You can feed a homeless animal with just the click of the mouse. It's absolutely, positively, no questions asked free. In 2009, your clicks equaled 92 million bowls of food for homeless animals. 
So just go to theanimalrescuesite.com and click on the purple button that says, click here, it's free. Well, that's about it for this week. And remember, you never lose by loving, you always lose by holding back. So till next time, take good care, God bless, and namaste. Thank you, Sky McKenna. As always, what an amazing report. To learn more about Sky, please visit her website at skymckenna.com. That's S-K-Y-E-M-A-C-K-E-N-N-A.com. Or you could check out my show page here on Blog Talk Radio. There's a link directly to her website. Um, from what I understand, Sky is taking a short hiatus from her radio show, but generally you can listen to Sky live on the air on Monday mornings at 11 a.m. Pacific time on Achieve Radio. That's AchieveRadio.com. Tell Sky you heard about her here. Well, I have some breaking news that I need to discuss with you. G- Dr. Jean. Yes? I got an email from Julie. Oh, okay. She must have heard us talking about her. Uh, <laughs> no, she has, she has no access because she doesn't have a computer. But And because she doesn't have a computer and she didn't know if we sent out a script because generally we have a script, the weekly script here, um, she didn't remember the number. It's been so long. So I just sent her an email and I gave her the dial-in number. So if she does dial in, maybe we can put these rumors to rest and find I out exactly so. what's going on. Um, hey, wait a minute. And, and if she dials in, how do we know that Frank isn't at rest right next to her? Uh, I bet you that's it. Well, we'll try to trick her and try to get how the truth if she dials Let's in. It out. How could we do that? I don't know. Um, would she have any ideas on this? We'll have to say something like something that we know um, only Frank would have the answer to. So we'll have to ask about the UFOs and uh, something about his show, or uh, which usually fo- or used to follow hours. I think it still does. Yes, it still world. does. He, so he let's, mentioned let's ask something about the latest. You know, with uh, maybe the birds in the sky, and Frank would know a lot more about those kind of events because he keeps track of them on a daily basis. Yes, he does. And in fact, last week, right after this show, when I, because I co-host his show, uh, we talked a lot about the birds and the fish and different things of that nature. He had additional information available since he does the weekly paranormal news. And that, although it wasn't paranormal, it certainly was an interesting um, situation. But we'll, if Julie does dial in, we'll we'll try to go down that avenue. Maybe we'll ask her about the fish and the um, and the birds and the UFO sightings and see if she knows anything about it. And if she does, I'm going to be suspicious because typically she doesn't follow that kind of stuff. Okay. The two of us together are <laughs> diabolical. Here. Apparently we are. And uh, Frank usually does mailbag questions, but um, I didn't. I just didn't have time to prepare and get pull down from my server the mailbag questions and prepare a script today. But I have a psychological question. I know what the spiritual and psychic answer is to this. This is personal with me. So this is a um, a flash into Lady Fontaine's inner workings here. Um, I'll give you a psych reading. Okay, good. Oh, that's good. You'll give me a psych. It could be psychic or psychological, one or the other. That's why I just call it psych. 
That, oh, that's right. It could be, remember, psych two. So yes. it could be either way, psych squared. Yes. Um, all right. So um, from, and again, I know what the answer is from a spiritual perspective, but tell me from a psychological perspective what you think. If somebody typically is in a role of um, uh, responsibility and suddenly nobody's listening, you know, sort of like uh, that that person meaning me can't get a response from anybody about anything, um, w- what what would you think psychologically is going on? In other words, if you are the person who's in charge of a project, let's say. Yes, yes. And you're, you're, you've asked a, a question about something and you're not getting a response from several people who are supposed to be working under you in the project. Yes, and th- let's just broaden it a little bit, not just, you know, one question, um, starting to see a pattern of lack of response. Well, my sense would be that the people might be pulling away or either either individually or that one thing, you know, I'll talk about something where the demons might be influencing me, but this happened before I ever met any demons that I knew were demons. I mm-hmm. find I have people that work for me, but I find it best. They work separately on their own, that I don't get them together because if you get them together, they tend to, run things by each other. I don't want to say co-conspire, but sometimes it feels that way. Mm-hmm. So if you're not getting a response from several people, and these are people that communicate with one another, I would say that one is influencing the other, and it snowballs very quickly, and you know how fast snow can pile up if you don't somehow separate them. And if it's happening from a few individuals uh, who don't communicate with one another, then I would say maybe the project is more than they're willing to to take on. They're not that motivated or committed. Well, I kind of thought both, the answer is sort of both of, of the things that you mentioned. But I also very strongly felt what, what you said as far as the first um, scenario, where not that people are intentionally co-conspiring against no, me but they, they or tend to gang up and kill the leader. There's something in group therapy. They say you have to watch out for it because at a certain point they all turn on the leader. It's called kill the leader. And people tend to do that against the boss or whoever seems to be uh, cracking the whip on them for the project that they're So what do, what do you do? I mean, like I hear, I hear what you, you're saying about separating them. If it's a kind of project where people can't be separated, we're part of what – um, the project does is together, you know, everybody's needed on the project, physically okay. together. If, if there's two people and, and the two of them seem to be working against you, sometimes you have to decide which one you want to keep and which one you, you wouldn't mind losing. Mm. Mm. Or which I've thought one of that seems too. to be the instigator. Mm. And yeah, no, I you have of that to too. then drive a wedge between the two of them in the sense that you're favoring the one that you want to keep and not the other one. Mm. All right, not, well, you know, that's not so nice. My mother never taught me that. Graduate school never taught me that. But I found this happens in social relationships, but it certainly happens at work. And in some ways I feel justified because I never behaved that way when I worked for somebody. I was never part of the group that said, oh, let's, you know, see if we all agree and then we're going to, 
kill the leader on this, and I just kind of always did my own thing. It either worked for me or it didn't, and I didn't always have supporters, but the kind of people that are used to working together as a union or a group or, you know, they put a lot of energy into that sometimes, and, and they try to bond with people at their level and convince that person, like, well, I don't feel like working Tuesday. I guess you don't either. Yeah, I'm not going to do it if you won't do it. So that's why I'm saying sometimes you have to quickly separate and pick the one that you feel is is the most loyal to you and, and give to that person and kind of encourage the other one to go in a different direction. Mm. Now, if you need both of them desperately, then you're just going to have to compromise temporarily and, and let them do what they're doing. In the meantime, look for a way not to be that dependent on the two of them. Right. I, 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 not that certain people aren't um, replaceable or are replaceable or anything like that. I mean, you know, I, 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 like I, I always hand-select people and think that they're absolutely the right person to do a particular job. But, I mean, in the reality of things, if people end up, um, what's the word, um, slowing down or um, harming the project. Attitude is important. You're better off, I found this also, I learned it in the work world, you're better off with somebody who's a little less brilliant that will work with you than mm. somebody who's talented and 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 has a very excessive high excessively high opinion of themselves and keeps working against you. That's the last right. person you want, especially if they're encouraging other people to work against you too. If it's one right. eccentric that you need, you can sort of isolate them and treat them differently and use them as you need them. But if they're now influencing others to run to turn against you, you've got to put a stop to it. Right. No, I agree. And and at that point, I do agree because that's what I was thinking too. Um, who's the most important person here, and how you know who who could I not live without, and who can I live without? Because yeah. unfor- you know, unfortunately, um, sometimes it does come to that. I was just curious what what you thought of that particular situation. And again, from an energy standpoint alone. Um, I tend to look at if I'm not getting a response, this is a general statement, if I'm not or anyone's not getting attention or responses from people, it leads me to think that in some way they're not being responsive to themselves. Well, that's it too, that in some ways if you have bad chemistry with somebody, they're hard to work with. And I'll tell you, you, the way you run projects that I've seen, you're much better at coordinating and keeping the chemistry and getting a bunch of people to successfully work with you and work together. That takes a lot of energy, and you're willing to replace people when you have to. My fault is that a lot of times, even if I don't like something, I just keep hoping it'll get better. It never does. But I'm right, like I too lazy to replace somebody, especially if they have a specific skill that, that you can't get that easily. Right. See, I, I so you're good at recognizing problems in the bud, nipping it in the bud, and, and making the effort now so you won't have to do it later. See, that's what I feel because I feel if I'm spending too much time or effort, you know, where it becomes, you know, detrimental to the project, um, chasing after or trying to smooth things over or whatever the, the specifics are, I feel it's not of value to anybody 
you know, if it's affecting me and and my performance. But you know, the thing of it is, I I, I think I'm very good at what I do. <laughs> I mean, that sounds terrible. But I mean, no, I agree. I think I I've got a good process. You, you know, you know why you can say that. You're not being on your high horse when you say that because you also work hard. The people I do. that say I'm very good, therefore I don't have to work hard, and you know I can just coast and live on my laurels. That's that's the bad thing. Right. No, but I, I mean, I think that I um, give people a lot of credit. I think I, um, I think I wish I had somebody. If I had to work with somebody on a project, I would, or somebody was leading a project, I would hope somebody who really cares about the people um, were, were, you know, was running it, that I was reporting to that. You're not reporting, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah. But and that doesn't always happen. Oftentimes people who run projects don't really care about the people that are, you know, doing the work. And I do. I genuinely well, do. Well, bureaucracy. Don't forget you're the head goddess here, and these are all your projects like me with my practice or some of the things I'm doing where you're an entrepreneur, you do care and you care about the people because you care about the project. And the two go hand in hand. If you're just a boss and you're you've got people working under you and then a cooperative, you don't care about the higher ups, you just know that you have to please them, you don't care about the people, you wish you had another job. I mean I see that all the time with people that seem to be so loyal to their corporation, and then as soon as things get a little rough, they're working for the competition. They so they're not viewing it as their thing. That's that's the uh, that's that's the advantage in our country of of being an entrepreneur, no matter what the project is. No, that's true, and that is part of the beauty of the freedom of our country. There's no doubt about it. Um, but it sometimes makes um, you know, running projects or managing projects, challenging or difficult at best. But uh, this is an interesting topic, and I'd like us to talk a little bit more about it. But I know we've had a caller waiting for a little bit of time, um, so I'd like to get them on the air. I'm not sure if we're having switchboard problems because Julie hasn't called in yet, and I sent her the email a while ago, and I'm not seeing the switchboard. She heard what we're planning. Frank heard what we're planning. Somebody did so right, because you're right. They must be listening, so they don't want to get themselves set up for this. But just as a reminder to everybody, the phone lines are open. We're hoping we're not having switchboard problems tonight. But please give us a call at six four six three eight one four one four one to speak with me and Dr. Jean. We're here to answer all your questions. Call six four six three eight one four one four one. And believe it or not, you get you can get expert advice on all that troubles you with Dr. Jean and myself. And remember, if you don't get on the air tonight, please send us your question at mailbag at ladyfontaine.com. Dr. Jean and I select a few questions each week, and we we answer them live here on the air. So that basically equates to getting a free reading. So don't miss this incredible opportunity. Send us your questions now. That's mailbag at ladyfontaine.com. We're... The phone lines are open, and we're ready to take your calls. Again, the number is 646-381-4141. So, Paula. Hello. Um, Hi. (laughs) Hi, Paula. Hi. How are you, Dr. Jean? Hi. Hi. You've been with us the whole time? Yes, I have. Hey, you've been (laughs) so quiet. Jump in, you know. Don't, Don't be shy. 
You right. I told I, her. I told her she she has to be co-host today. <laughs> I did have something to contribute to the whole um, bird conversation. Oh yeah. On Good Morning America today, mm-hmm. they were discussing um, another bird issue which had occurred over in Europe somewhere. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember the city. But it was another one where there, there were several thousands of birds who were, you know, laying dead on the street. And um, the scientists, they um, assessed several of the birds to see what had happened to them. And in this case, it actually was that they had overeaten. They had gorged themselves on some feast and had eaten so much that they, you know, could no longer fly and, and end up dying. So that is what happened in that particular case. Now, I'm not saying that is what's happening all over the world, but in this incident that happened the other day in Europe, that was the case there. So I think Birds there's some fish type do of... that. They eat until they die. They they don't know to stop. I used to feed my little goldfish, and I couldn't understand why they were dying. And my mother said, look, just because they eat it, you don't keep feeding them. They will eat until they die. Yeah, so maybe but... that's a sign to the earth that look what happened. You know, we're greedy, and now we're being punished, and, and the birds and the fish are the sign. Oh, definitely that could be. But, see, my only problem with, with what Paula just said is, well, I have two problems with it. One, being a 9-11 survivor, um, I know how the the official word on things isn't always the truth. And, um, you know, that did play out royally for for those of us who were down in lower Manhattan after the terror attacks, you know, of 2000 and, uh, 2001, because, um, I mean, you could smell what was going on down there, and now, I mean, it's come out that, yes, there was, you know, it was there were dangerous fumes, and, yes, it's affecting people's health, and blah, 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 blah. So I'm, I'm from firsthand experience, I do not necessarily trust or believe what I hear or what the, the general reports are. But my only problem with that report is, what caused them to overeat at that particular time, especially with so many other, you know, locations that birds are just falling from the sky and dying. I, again, think that it's sort of like, you know, um, whatever whatever powers they have or whatever enables them to migrate south, you know, what, whatever their their tactical whatever you know, is that that guides them through things. If the magnetic, you know, uh, energy on the earth is changing or something subtle like that, I feel it would affect all that stuff, throw throw their whole equilibrium off, and then cause them to overeat or fly into trees or whatever is happening to these animals. I mean, I think that that is so different than what I've heard about some of the ones here in the United States, because I heard that they were dealing with blunt trauma or something like that. Did anybody else hear that here in the United States? No. You know, I don't know no. much about the one in Arkansas. Yeah, I don't know. For some reason, I remember hearing that. I mean, I, I, that they, there was some sort of blunt trauma or something like that, but I don't know. I truly don't know. Um it's interesting to hear that. Um, Dr. Jean, what's your impression of that? Well, let's see. Uh, Bill Clinton and Huckabee uh, from uh, Arkansas. You think that has anything to do with that? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm thinking in terms of what you said about the weather. 
when when the birds fly south for the winter, and obviously the south has had uh, more than its share of cold weather, yeah. they get confused and they don't know what to do. Sometimes when it starts to get warm again, you see them confused in the sky. They start flying back because they only go by the weather. But what do they oh, do that with south? Yeah. Is that truly yeah. what they migrate? It's all weather related. There's not some other built-in sensor or anything like that. There probably is, but but what what has been documented is that when we have a particularly warm warm uh, few days in the winter, sometimes the birds start to fly back mm. when they start to uh, so that somehow the temperature it's like the trees blooming or not blooming. Yes, that the birds follow the weather. Certainly, if that's not their only uh, guide, it's a very strong guide. And now when they're in the south and it feels worse than it feels here, what do they do? I guess they have to go further south. Well, I guess in how far south, you know, do some of these species, you know, breeds of birds or whatever they call it go? I mean, um, you know, I would guess there are many birds that are just North American birds and other birds that are, you know, uh, found further south um, in more tropical locations. But it's true with the crazy weather. I mean, how often um, does, you know, Georgia and different locations like that deal with snow? And it seems like every round of bad weather that we've had this this winter, and it's only the beginning of January, is affecting the south. Well, you know, the people, uh, at least, they're being thrown by it because they only have eight snow plows, they said, in Atlanta, and, and they've never gotten used to walking. They fall on the ice because what ice? They never had to walk on ice. But the idea is at least we can explain to them. They have the brain, the reason to understand that there's snow and it's unusual, but it's here. But what do you explain to the birds with the bird brains? You can't tell them why it is right. now that they did the right thing and, and they're getting the wrong response. They're freezing. Well, um, maybe some of this or all of this is truly the answer as far as what's going on, or maybe, it, you know, I'm just curious with what Paula heard today on TV, um, what would cause them to suddenly overeat if that indeed is truly what happened. Did Paula? Did they say anything about that? I, I'm sorry. What you say? Um, did they say anything Why did about they that? Why did they overeat? Oh no, they didn't say. I, they said, I guess, that there was, you know, a particularly delectable feast, and they chose to eat until they could no longer get any more food in them. I guess. <laughs> Where was the <this> feast? <laughs> I don't know. It was somewhere in Europe. <laughs> well, I know in Sweden, they I think it was, there was a bunch of birds that fell out of the sky. But, I think um, they were doves. Were, were they doves? Oh, I don't remember hearing doves. Maybe this is something else. I don't know. These were turtle doves. Turtle doves. What are turtle doves? Well, I could... Look them up on the internet and and no, you know, I know what you do. Like a light gray. Five turtle doves. Oh. What was that? Five turtle doves. I think they're a pale right? gray. I think. Oh, a pale gray. All right. Um, I only. I only. Oh, okay. I don't know. That's that's sad. If it was doves, they're so lovable and peaceful. 
Um, you know, I used to do a lot of healing years back, um, and I chose to work with animals because I, it's just so much easier healing animals than it is healing people. And back then, not a lot of people were doing animals. So I remember one time I came home, and um, my ex-husband said to me, come here in, in the kitchen and take a look at this. And I did. And there was a dove that was sitting at the windowsill, and it just sat there. I mean, my ex-husband said that it was sitting there for hours and hours. And I went outside, and, um, you know, the window was high up, so I couldn't really see what was going on. But, I mean, I was looking for if, if it had a damaged wing or anything like that, and I didn't see any of that. But eventually the the bird sort of moved a little bit and changed positions, and um, I saw that it did have some blood on, I don't remember if it was a wing or its foot or something like that. So my gut feeling is because it was looking me square in the eye, it wanted me to heal it. It went to the so, healing hospital. It, yeah. knew, it knew where to go. Yeah, so I did. I worked on that dove. I got such a, a bond with it. It stayed for hours and hours, and then finally I was so tired, I, I just had to go into bed. But as I was falling asleep, I was still sending it healing. And then the next morning, as soon as I got up, I checked, and the bird wasn't there. And I went outside. I looked all around. There was no sign of it, you know, having died or anything like that. And then about a week later, one day I was walking. At that point, I had, uh, I think I had Lucky at that point. So I was walking Lucky. And this is when I lived in New York. And um, I'm walking lucky around. And, you know, sometimes, like, when you're walking or you're just aware, that, like, that somebody's either watching you or, you know, yeah. sort of keeping pace with you. So I was so aware of being watched and just having, I don't know, it just was this feeling. So I'm looking all around and I don't see anything. And then something made me look up and there was a white dove flying above me. And I know it was the same dove because how often do you see a white dove? In New York City, not too often. No, and there was a white dove, and I feel it was flying there to tell me it was all right and to thank me. And then I never saw the bird again after that day. Well, good. Hey, you know, like uh, people don't usually come back in, in such a good way. so <laughs> <laughs> They don't usually come back and say thank you. Although I used to be a master at helping people, like, get rid of headaches and stuff like that, but I don't do it anymore. I don't know what happened to our switchboard because it looks like we lost that caller. Um, yes, I don't know if he hung up or if or if he got dropped. But, Russ, if you're listening, please call back, and, and we'd love to take your call. Um, and the number, again, is 646-381-4141. My gut feeling is we have to have some switchboard issues going on, um, and if we do, I apologize if you're having any trouble getting through. Um, keep on trying because... It, the switchboard is open, and calls should be getting through. And if for some reason, if anyone's listening out there and they can't get through, um, shoot me an email at info at ladyfontaine.com or contact me on Blog Talk Radio and let me know what problems you experience with the switchboard and not getting through so this way we know what to report and hopefully we can get the problem fixed. Because this would be just about the only night ever where we're not getting callers calling in. So I have to assume that we've got some technical issues going on. But um, Yeah, I don't think everybody's out playing tonight in the snow. No, no. I mean, granted, there could be some power issues in certain locations, but we are a worldwide show, and we typically get people calling in from all over the country. 
So, um, you know, I would be especially surprised if nobody was calling us tonight. <laughs> I yeah. truly would. But especially well, when we're usually turning away, you know, unfortunately, we can't always get to all the callers. So, again, if you're out there and you want to speak to us, we're we're sitting here waiting for your call, 646-381-4141. So since we have some time, um, do, did anything new and exciting happen this week, Dr. Jean? Well, uh, you want to hear about the book issue? Yes, I was thinking about it earlier, so tell me. I'm going to be somebody, I'm getting a ghost. Let's put it that way, which is a good thing. Uh, a ghostwriter. A ghostwriter, yeah. They're extending the deadline from February 1st to February 15th, and they're going to have one of their in-house writers work with me to get it into form quickly because they only have time for one revision. Usually I'd be working with the editor to write and rewrite and do several drafts, but they don't have time for this. Uh they like the ideas and everything in the first part of it. Uh, now, the bad side is she is getting a fee out of my fee, which isn't uh, great to begin with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But is your fee, I mean, you still, I'm sure, have something depending on the number of books that you sell. The royalties. Um, you know, let me tell you a secret about writing. And I, mean, this I is know, it's not secret. as big as, unless you write Harry Potter. It's not Even, all that big. Well, Harry Potter maybe because parents still want to buy the books and, and, and force the kids to to read instead of looking on the computer or the TV or something. But, uh, you know, that's what someone told me when she wrote children's books. But other than that, very few people read anymore. And normally I don't care even if you're somebody whose name is worldwide. You don't earn any more than your advance. Really? Except, like, let's say somebody like uh, Bill Clinton or Snooky, they get high advances. You know, they're about in the same category, right? (laughs) Equally well known. (laughs) Yes, I guess. He has a ghostwriter, and and it's somebody who writes a lot of novels for women. But uh, anyway, they get a good advance, but you can't expect to sell anything past that. You're lucky. You almost never make your advance. And then they know that that what they get up front is their money, and that's it. Wow. So really yeah. the, the big benefits of writing a book are the exposure and recognition for writing it. Exactly. And, ego. Right. Ego, yeah. Right. But that, that's, I I mean, uh, that, uh, you know, most people think they're going to make money if they're a writer, if well, they have published you know, books. Uh, the friend of mine who was on our show, Rhonda, she has three books. And she wrote them all herself, too, at least as far as I know. And one of them was published in 1999. Mm-hmm. And uh, Don't Call That Man. And yes. she's just now making, getting back royalties on it. She was given an advance, a high advance, and now the royalties are coming. But uh, ordinarily, they, I mean, that's, that's what's expected. She said that clients have told her, oh, you sit in your Park Avenue office and laugh at us, and she's like, what? Some of these people have more money than me. And she's actually made a whole practice and everything on the books, which is very I know. Funny. I know. She was a, she was an it. interesting guest. In fact, um, the show that she was on probably got the best, um, you know, the most listens to, and, to any of our shows. 
Um, and and I, I think about sometimes when she was on the show, because I would ask certain questions, and then she would say, well, do you mean this or that? And truly, the questions are based on the kinds of experiences that I hear about on a very regular basis. So the answer truly was all of the above plus more. You know, because basically, like if I was saying, so what does a woman do um, when a man isn't calling? And then she would say, well, why aren't they calling? Because, you know, of A or B. And it truly it's A, B, C, D, and E. <laughs> well, in some cases, you know why. In some cases, you did something. In other cases, you thought everything was fine. Mm-hmm. And maybe you have bad judgment or maybe something else happened. It, it, there are a lot of different types of men out there, and that's what my book is going to focus on, too, with, with the soulmate myth, the idea that you can't really always or most of the time find a soulmate, so therefore somebody that has a lot of other traits that, that work together are fine. We're not all going to meet our soulmates in this lifetime and marry them uh, so, you know, that I, I didn't think that there was that many people holding out for a soulmate, but apparently that was another reason. Well, um, for the sake of your book, what is what do you what defines a soulmate? Well, it's a myth. I mean, what defines the soulmate in mythology is the twin flames, people that were destined to be together people that complete each other, people that are just about exactly alike. Even twins aren't, and they don't Mm -hmm. always get along that well. Mm -hmm. Um, And that if you somehow can't meet this person that understands your every need and that you click with and feel perfect with, that loves to do everything you love to do, it's a failure. Well, and it's interesting because from a spiritual perspective, a soulmate doesn't have to be that person that you click with or that person who, you know, you want to spend the rest of your life with because in reality, 99.99% of the people that um, affect us in some way, shape, or form, good, bad, or indifferent, are truly our soulmates. And the, the um, the most dynamic and amazing soulmate connections are with the people who end up hurting us the most because oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, um, you know, when we experience some sort of either emotional or physical hurt or pain, um, there's growth that's, you know, attached to that. So we may get it or we may, it might be uh, the preliminary steps that we need to being able to move to a different emotional or spiritual level. And those are the true soulmates. What? There's a psychological explanation that really has nothing to do with the soulmate because what has been documented in a study recently, the New York Times wrote about it, well, recently, like 2006, that people who claim to have married their soulmates are more likely to get divorced, not less. What, now, why and, is that? Okay. Often what happens is the, the sense that somebody's your soulmate could be nothing more than you feel comfortable with that person. And the reason you feel comfortable now, is to remind you of your most oh, difficult okay. parent. Ah, uh, incomplete yes. business. Yes. So now you see a drunk just like that who was nice sometimes and nasty sometimes, and you're going to make him sober. And you couldn't do it with dad, 
but you are somehow going to change this drunken drug addict, whatever he is, who's cruel to you when, when he's under the influence, other women would stay away from him. But you can sometimes handle him. You feel comfortable. You know, you've been to a lot of bars and everything. So the people that he associates with, his family, everything's familiar. So it mm-hmm. feels like a soulmate, and it, it feels like your task now is to complete the uh, the uncompleted job of childhood. So yeah, well, I do feel like the person was meant was meant for you because you feel you have a job that can only be finished with this person, but it can't be because once he became sober and a different kind of person, he wouldn't suit the need anymore. Well, I and I do that all aligns with the law of attraction as well yeah. because. When we're when we have um and who doesn't, but when we have baggage from our past and we're still resonating at a certain frequency of not feeling worthy or not trusting because of experiences from our childhood or having abandonment issues because we were always left alone or because the parent wasn't there for us or whatever the whole, you know, rigamajig of feelings and emotions and experiences could be. Um that sets us up in a certain mindset and where we then start radiating. I mean, bottom line is you don't believe you're worthy or you believe that this is the way it should be and you start resonating at that frequency. So when you're sending it out, the law of attraction has nothing else to do but bring you more of what you're sending out. So that, from a psychological standpoint, fits what you just said and it also fits from a... um, you know, from an energy and a, and a uh, uh, I don't know if it's spiritual or a law of attraction. Let me let me put it that way. But there's still that other perspective. I mean, they say whoever they are, like New Agey kind of gurus and all, say that um, the the people who have the most significant effect in our lives, be it good, bad, or indifferent are truly our soulmates, and that's using the term in a different way. That has nothing to do with clicking or or being similar or or being a polar opposite that would attract um, as well. It only has to do with the fact that what I believe is that we um, make all these pacts and these contracts with people before we come into this lifetime, and some of them are for our growth and learning, and how do we usually grow and learn you, I mean, you tell me, Dr. Cirillo, how do we generally learn Well, what do they grow? say? Uh, you, you learn and grow. Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Right, exactly. So, so you unfortunately, learn and grow by going through bad experiences. Right. But hopefully you could learn and grow by reading books or by speaking to a counselor or a life coach or a psychic or a psychologist or by watching what somebody else goes through, and that's how you would learn, and you would avoid uh, the worst kind of experiences and leave some room for some good. Well, but what usually gets you to the point where you're... But Right, but I mean, usually the people who start looking for a counselor or a psychic or um, to read a book or go to a seminar or a workshop are people that are going through some emotional crisis right right if you if you had it all together you know i write about this too and i'm not it's not an original idea but that some of us were lucky we chose our parents well so that can fit in with with karma it can fit in with it can just be a metaphor 
-hmm. If you chose your parents or your family of origin and your childhood environment well, then Mm -hmm. whoever or whatever you feel comfortable with or whatever you're a little uncomfortable with but you need to, to go to the next step isn't going to be that terrible. But that is what you, that's the agreement that you need before life right. began or right. it's uh, luck, if you're random, whatever you want to say. So if you didn't choose well and you had a lot of trauma caused by people in your life and you're still out there looking to complete that or to undo it or to come to terms with it, that's where sometimes you need the guidance so that you don't do it in the wrong way. Right, right. Um, and and that, that fits with everything I believe. Um, it really, really does. But it's it's an interesting concept because when I'm hearing you talk about um, soulmates and different thing of, things of that nature, um, I'm always amazed when people talk about having meeting somebody and then say, well, I hope this turns into a soulmate relationship. It, that there's, that that to me that doesn't equate because either it is or it isn't. You know, you can't meet somebody and then hope that it turns into a soulmate relationship. It either is or it isn't a soulmate relationship. Exactly. Usually, people who, who claim that they've been with their soulmate, they always, they almost always say, "I knew it from the beginning." The only exactly. hope that it could turn into it is, let's say, one person is really into whether it's counseling, new age stuff, and they meet somebody else and they hope that if they get this person in touch with what's deep down inside, that the traits that were dormant will then be brought out and there'll be more of a sense of the soulmate kind of experience. Yeah, but, but sometimes see, they were always... One person goes and another person doesn't for help and before you know it, they split up because they one changes. Apart, right. Yeah, yeah. But, but some people but do you, hope that if they can get the person to grow, that he or she will 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 then show the soulmate traits that were always buried in there somehow. But see, what I would say to that is that's a true soulmate connection from the get-go because it grew into a learning growth experience. Um, you know, like there's certain people but there that... Some, there were some seeds that were evident from the beginning. Right. Well, something. I mean, even even if it's not evident at the beginning, sometimes people come into your life and the end result of the experiences that you have with them is, um, you know, getting getting it. You know, that light bulb ends up going off in your brain. It might be because you've been hurt, you know, a, enough times, or it could be because they've opened a door for you, or it may be because they connected you with some knowledge or person that you might not have found out any other way, and each one of those scenarios, to me, is a soulmate connection because they've facilitated your growth and they've, you know, become a major player in your life in some way, shape, or form. They may only stay in your life for a day, a week, a month, a year, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. That part doesn't matter as much as the fact that they made that huge, huge impression. And to me, every time there's some sort of huge impression or that somebody comes into your life and somehow changes it, that's a soulmate, if you realize it or not, because it's not that typical soulmate where you have to have the click and you have to have the this and the that. Uh, I look at soulmates as, you know, different. You had talked about it before, about making these contracts before we come into this lifetime. And 
Some of them are just to open doors for us. Some of them are just to guide us in the right direction. Some are to, you know, support us in some way. Some are to learn from. Some are to spend the rest of our lives with. So, you know, it, it's. I feel it could be any of any of the above. Well, all of the above, any of the above, none of the above. Uh, anyway, oh yeah, all uh, of the above. Actually, all of the above would be all. Any or all is the true answer, I think. Well, your soulmate also could be someone of the same sex. It could be someone of a different uh, gender, yeah, uh, or, or or someone of a different age. Good point. Appropriate. Uh, I heard two women discussing it, and the girl called the other girl. She said, "It's like my friend in the head. I feel like I knew her all my life, and it was." Since we met, I feel like I've always known her, and then it turns out we have a similar background, similar upbringing, similar interests, we dress in a similar way. Uh, so they had a lot in common, and, and you get that sense from somebody right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. That's true. And and that usually happens in soul-level connections. That That alignment of energy is usually there. But, like I said, I mean, some... I look at um, some very key relationships that were in my life that kind of got me backed against the wall where I had to make choices and and do things or change things. I look at those as my true soulmates. I mean, they expedited change in my life in in a brilliant way. So, I mean, I, I sort of expand the concept of soulmates beyond the obvious. But, um, you know, that example you just gave of two women, I mean, that's very typical, very, very typical. It doesn't have to be a man and a woman. It doesn't have to be a marriage. It could just be a friendship, just a connection. You know, it could be anything. Oh, I found that even with my practice partner. She grew up in a similar Italian family with the extended family and all the rules and everything. And when I would talk about problems with relatives, it's almost like I knew that she would understand because yeah. our relatives behaved in a similar way, whereas someone else who didn't have that type of upbringing would either be envious, so they say, well, I, we never even had all those rules of closeness, or they would be like, what, you know? But uh, so, yeah, there is that sense of affiliation, and the way it can become dangerous in relationships is if you're so focused or was so traumatized by something that was unhealthy, that you wind up only being comfortable with the people that give you that passionate intensity and, and roller coaster feeling, which often is very similar to the most difficult parent or people that you grew up with. But that's always the case. I mean, I, I feel yeah. we we always. Um, yeah, that's why people settle because. Um, they, you know, they settle for relationships that where a person is not attentive or not caring or is abusive, because that's the kind of childhood environment that they grew up in, and that's what they that's what they radiate. I mean, you could only allow in what you what you have and what you see and what you are. Um, otherwise, it's going to seem for, foreign, and you're going to repel it. Yeah. You're going to move away yeah, from exactly. it. Exactly. And depending on what you're used to, it could be something very bad, and you're not repelling it because you're used to it. Yeah, that's, that's exactly good. right. That's exactly there right. It could be something very good, and you are repelling it because you're not used to it, and that's what you have exactly. to learn to accept. 
Yes. If nobody's ever been attentive and somebody's attentive, instead of letting them in, you might push them away. Right, because it's foreign. It doesn't feel comfortable. It doesn't feel right. You'll come up with excuses. He's too tall. He's too short. I don't have that chemistry with him or her. Um, There's always an excuse and always a, a reason. I mean, I deal with this all the time. With, you know, with with clients of mine where um, they are in some sort of a, an abusive relationship and um, somebody else comes along and, well, I don't have that same chemistry, I don't this, I don't that, but the guy treats them like a goddess or a queen, you know, but they well, just... Well, maybe they you become up... like Woody Allen. You say, I wouldn't belong to any club that would have me as a member, I wouldn't date anyone that would date me, you know, he's honest and, and joking and it's part of his character but how many of us really feel that or, or feel it to some degree i'm sure a vast majority of our society i mean what are the statistics on codependency in our society like 97 or 99 percent or something like that probably i remember reading that in um melanie Beattie's book codependent no more or whatever that was one of the first books on codependency that I remember reading, um, it, it's an astronomical number. It's like almost all of our society. And why is that? It's because our parents were codependent and their parents were codependent and their parents were codependent. You know what's so mind-blowing to me? You can't get a driver's license without learning how to drive. You can't get a good job without having a college education. Um, you know, we, we, we spend how many years in school and how many classes or how much of that time is spent on you know learning how to raise kids or 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 getting some sort of psychological guidance as far yeah. as you know proper responses to things i mean we go into being a parent which is truly the most i feel um you know important and job. Demanding job because you're all by right. yourself or you're with one other person if you're lucky a thousand and you're and you've got this helpless being and you have no guidance except what your parents did exactly. when you were younger. And, and there should be some form of classes. The sad thing is classes in psychological uh, well-being or in parenting, nobody ever has to go to those kind of things until they mess up so badly. Exactly. That it comes to somebody's attention. Exactly. So it's not required unless you're accused of abuse or neglect, and then all of a sudden you have to go to parenting classes. Right, and that's my point that it should really be something that's required. You know, it's hard Before. to say say something like that because I mean, unfortunately, Big Brother's becoming more more of a reality, you know, in yeah. in our lives day by day. But you know, there are certain things if we have to, you know, take certain fundamental courses, you know, in school, that should be a critical one. And and you know, as as sad as it sounds, and I know this is too restrictive to really ever happen, or I don't think it will happen in our in our lifetime anyhow, you know, some sort of psychological um, evaluation before people have kids because we're creating all of the problems in 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 our society. You know, when when you look at the average, for instance, um, you know, uh, serial killer or something like that. How many of them had loving family environments when they were growing up? Not too many from what we're seeing, although like with this horrible case in Arizona, you see the parents are like, you say, what were they doing? They were 
in denial that he needed help. But when you see the family, sometimes biologically, you don't see anything that out of kilt in the family to make them to to make them that way. It, it would seem like there had to be a combination of some something demonic or some higher power that you know they turned out as bad as they did. Um, that's an interesting perspective of things. I mean, usually what I hear with these serial killers and stuff like that is, or you know, or any any even somebody who's abusing their their child or something. Um, that you know, that is definite, a hundred percent. If you abuse your child, you've been abused. But often they find like with serial killers, most of them haven't been that severely or, or abused at all. But since they were children. They were abusing animals. They were right. somehow biologically, right. somehow they were unhappy, and they started by abusing animals and afterwards, you know, other other kids. And sometimes when the parents knew, they covered up for them. Uh, but uh, you didn't see the families as being overly violent in those cases. Oh, that's interesting, because I just yeah. kind of figured, I mean, the few scenarios and maybe they weren't serial killers maybe they were just murderers or something right, just, just um, angry murderers <laughs> who dealt with anger and right and, but and most the of them way. like you know when you you start hearing their stories you know their their mother locked them up in a closet and beat them up and gave them enemas and stuff like that and now they're going out killing women you know and and in essence what they're trying to do is gain that control over their mom and and stop yeah. the abuse um, but, you know, and, and those kinds of scenarios, you know, I mean, not. I'm sure when parents are doing these crazy things with their kids, um, they're not, I don't think even when somebody's being abused that they're intentionally doing it. I think they're just so wounded themselves that that's their natural Usually response. Usually they're wounded or frustrated, and when you're frustrated, you regress psychologically to a younger level, a lower level, and they deal with their frustration the same way their parents dealt with them. So violence well, breeds more violence. That's a little right. different from the, the serial killer that's an odd, isolated thing, but there's a lot more violence and murder and everything else in people that were just raised the same way. And, and what about the the scenarios like I'm thinking of, you know, somebody growing up in, you know, bad part like in Harlem or something like that, um, where a parent isn't that present, and they're basically they they join gangs and they go out and do this that and the other thing. I mean, what, they're more psychopathic. What? They're not serial oh, killers okay. usually. They're more, you know, if I want something, I have to take it. If I don't take, I don't get. I mean, look at the little foster girl that was killed by a foster father because she ate some of the food because they hadn't fed her in two days. Mm-hmm. You know, when the, the the kids from his family could get a little bit older and you just realize that if I don't grab something, I, I don't survive and you never have any guidance or consequences so it's too late. I know. It's, it's sad. I mean, and again, all these scenarios that we're talking about really add up to you know, some sort some sort of abuse, most of the scenarios add up to some sort of abuse or lack of something in, in the childhood because, you know, those people who do come, and it's not always, well, I guess it probably is. If you come from a loving, supportive, attentive, nurturing environment, 
um, you, it's going to be a whole different scenario for that person opposed to somebody who comes from an environment where they're ignored or abused or, um, you know. Um, oh, what, well, what, nobody is arguing about that. Yeah, I mean, at the very least you could say about somebody who becomes a serial killer that their parents and the people around them just seriously ignored what they shouldn't have ignored. Right, right. But it is because otherwise, if you were loving, you would get them some help. Right, right. Or, or they would never have been in that position. You know, you I, get them I just help when they were a little child, and you saw them abusing animals, or you, you saw that they were always alone and angry and sullen. And you know, you, again, like schools complain. And in this case, with the Arizona guy to get suspended and then expelled from college is pretty serious. Yeah. I know, and yeah, I it's hard. I mean, you know, from even from a uh, um, guidance counselor or from a principal standpoint in schools and things like that, and especially in today's day and age, I think, um, you know, I don't know how involved they get. You know, if they see various signs of something in a child's behavior, um, I don't know how involved. Have you ever hear any stories about things like that, Doctor Jean? You hear stories, but, you know, sometimes you can't predict in hindsight. You might see ten kids behave in a bullying way. What they know Mm. now is that the young kids that are bullies are more likely to be in jail for crimes that are violent later on. Uh, But if you see somebody who's a loner, who acts a little peculiar, he or she might be shy and might turn out to be fine. Mm. And you might see somebody look at the Craigslist killer who was doing extremely well and, and was not only in med school but was engaged to a girlfriend right, who right. couldn't believe any of these bad things, and, and he went out and did something. And right. it's not unusual for a serial killer to be married and he, the wife or her, the wife just normally say, I didn't see any sign of it. Whether you see somebody's a little weird and you just get used to it because they're there all the time, that's true too. You develop a, a certain tolerance for it, but right uh, for them yeah. it's the norm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if somebody uh, spends every night, you know, um, you know, in a room doing whatever it is, I mean, you know, like how many men uh, go down in the basement or in the garage and you know do their oh, own thing? Oh, yeah, we had questions about that. I told you about the woman, the ex-wife, that wait till he goes down in the basement. And sure enough, months into the marriage, he started going down to the basement. He had toy trains, a grown man, and he would play more and more with his trains and his computers. Uh And, yeah, he had his whole little world down there Yet he worked. And other than that, he was a great family man. Right. But, I mean, you know, so if, if a lot of these signs for the people who are involved, like if you're married to somebody who turns out to be a serial killer or something like that, I... To more or less support what you said, you know, because nowadays people do have their own interests and different things like that. So if somebody is isolating themselves in a room, you know, you don't even think about it. You know, they're on the computer, they're, you know, playing with their trains or something like that. Uh, but exactly. what were you going to say? 
No, I was, I, I'm laughing. You know, what it is is that everybody has separate hobbies and some of them are more loner. And what about somebody who sits in front of a television for hours? Right. <laughs> now That's they right. said that, well, that person was watching violent movies or so therefore there was something wrong with them. You know, blame the, blame the TV, uh, blame the videos. Uh, but how many people do that and don't do anything else? Mm. Right, and that's true. You're absolutely yeah. right. I mean, let's face it. The, thank God the majority of our society isn't out there, you know, her, harming other people. They may be um, inadvertently or, or not knowingly hurting themselves or their loved ones by not giving them the, the amount of love or attention or whatever. I mean, these are more or less typical kind of family environments. Um, but, uh, you know, all the violence and stuff on TV, I mean, and all the sex and everything on TV. I mean, when I was growing up, they couldn't say this stuff that they no. say nowadays on TV. They couldn't do the things, I mean, walk around, you know, without bras or without tops, you know, with in their underwear. I mean, they couldn't do this stuff, you know. And, and But were, were we more of a prudish um, generation? Sense. I mean, well, first of all, we didn't have the cable. We just had the network, and they made all the families perfect. So then you would say, how come my mom and dad and family isn't like Ozzy and Harriet and everything? So then they went too much in the other direction to show the entire uh, society, which is good in some ways, bad in others. Uh, no, I know. I mean, it's, it's hard to say. Now there's some limits on violence, and there never used to be at all for kids, that's normal, you know, and mm. the hero comes up with a few bandages and goes on, and in real life, that doesn't always happen. So now maybe they're more aware of it. Then there was a lot of stuff happening under, under yeah. behind the scenes. It's just that's certain true. prime time family shows, the family was always perfect. And, yeah. and, and no, that's I don't true. know if that was so good. Yeah. That was true. I mean, certainly TV is it's changed quite a bit. But we're just about out of time for today. Again, I apologize for any to any um, listeners who may have tried to call in. If we're having any technical issues and you were unable to get through, please shoot me an email at info at ladyfontaine.com. I actually enjoyed the show tonight. We don't often get to just talk. Um, no, we don't. I know, because we're usually so anxious to jump into taking the calls. So it was a great show, maybe periodically we'll do a show where we just sort of hit certain topics and, and have discussion on it. Cause I thought it was a great show. I really enjoyed it, but we'll I just want to see how what interesting was that? we really, we'll check on the ratings and see how interesting we really yeah, are. That's true. And, and if we are, then maybe we'll have more just shows yeah. that we talk, but I did want to say thank you to all our, our listeners, again, next week, hopefully we'll be back here, and hopefully we won't have any technical issues, so you'll hopefully give us a call at 646-381-4141. Um, all of you have made this show a success. Um, you truly, except for tonight, it's always our listeners who, who make the show interesting, and it's really why we do the show every week. So I want to thank you all, and again, I want to wish you all a wonderful, healthy, happy, and prosperous New Year and a great week. And thank you to my wonderful co-host, Dr. Jean Cirillo. Um, hopefully next week we'll have Frank Todaro and Julie Zellman back. Um, special thanks to Paula Beck, who did a great job in trying to get the call screen tonight and being here to give us some 
um, verbal and technical support when we need it. Many blessings to each of you, and I am in gratitude to all of you. Have a wonderful week, and remember to honor yourself, and you'll automatically draw in countless experiences that honor you. Good night, everyone. Hope to see you back here next week, and remember to reclaim you. We're here to honor and support you and provide you with the guidance you need to aspire to all your dreams. Good night, all.